Okay, Val, my intro video decided not to function, so we are live. Apologies. Well, I, I don't know. What a start, right? <laughs> Says browser failed to play the clip. Who knows? Uh, welcome, everybody, to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baghurst, and I'm joined uh, for this show by Valerie Miares. Thank you, Val, for joining us. You're the athletic director for Palm County. Explain a little bit about how you got into that position, because it's, it's an unusual one in the U.S., yeah, so it's a school district of Palm Beach County. Uh, we are in South Florida for anyone that's not familiar with uh, how Florida is, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, then Palm Beach and points north. Um, and so this position, there's about, I want to say close to 30 of our districts in the state of Florida have a district athletic director position. And essentially, you're the director of athletics for the school district and you work directly with all of the high schools and more than likely the middle schools in your county um and this is just uh years of being an athletic administrator at the school level and wanting something more um and to and to elevate and so this position was created by palm beach county schools about seven years ago now um and so i applied for that and so i'm the first one into the position for the county in this role it started as a as a manager's position which is on the administrative track you know in the in the school district and then um, fortunately was elevated um, to director two years ago and I'm really excited about that. This has been an awesome experience. Um, you know, I think when we're involved in athletics, there's a lot of different levels of how you're involved in athletics. Some people like to work with the athletes, some people like to work with the adults. And in this, in this case, it's, it's being like the coach of the athletic directors, um, the athletic director with the athletic director. And I really enjoy doing that professional development portion um, with with the ADs, uh, and it's uh, it can be challenging at times because you're not always giving everybody what you want to hear, um, mm. you know, as we're dealing with eligibility and compliance and, and certain things like that. So that's a little background um, on the position. It's something that you find throughout the United States. Uh, it's been uh, really great to meet with other people throughout the country um, who serve in the same role and kind of hear the same trials and tribulations or some of the same success and, and to learn from them. So this has been a wonderful experience for me here at the district. Can you talk a little bit about just what you do as a county athletic director? Because again, a lot of states in the U.S. don't have such yeah. such a position. What was your day to day look like? So the day to day can change um, quite often. It just really depends on what's going on. So for us, I have 26 high schools and 36 middle schools. We are the 10th largest school districts in the country. Uh, and so as you can imagine- uh, Did you say in the country? In the country, yeah, we're the 10th wow. largest school. And Florida is home to some of the largest, you know, Miami-Dade, I think is third or fourth, Broward is, is sixth, Hillsborough is seventh or eighth, we're 10th, Orange County is 12th. So, Florida is home to some of the largest districts, and uh, we all, you know, all of those counties have um, district athletic director positions, but no day is the same. That's just, that's really, you know, you come in, you come in with the greatest hopes and dreams. I'm going to come to my office. I'm going to respond to email. I'm going to make a difference. And then, you know, when you arrive, there might be, you know, 10 fires or emergencies. And so, you know, uh, we deal, uh, my, my day can, can change from just having interaction with district leadership in the schools. 
Um, the Florida High School Athletic Association is our governing body, like the NCAA, um, for, you know, for athletics at the collegiate level. So we respond um, to them. And so, you know, today, you know, my night finished with an FHSAA communication. My morning started with an FHSAA communication um, for an issue with one of our schools. And that's typical that we're constantly um, going through that rotation on on eligibility and compliance pieces. So there's that. And then there's working with all the auxiliary offices here at the district. And so, you know, if we're looking to do district-wide contracts with different vendors, then that usually begins with me and working with our purchasing and our legal departments, um, you know, risk management and a number, number of other, you know, groups that we have to work with to get to get it to go. And then there's the communication with the athletic directors because the schools have needs. And so they all have their own intricacies and their own problems that we have to we have to deal with. And so really I tell a lot of people, my day for me and the work that Valerie Miaris has to do sometimes doesn't start until four o'clock in the afternoon because the school day starts at 7.30 or 8 a.m. And then our last high school gets out at 3.30, our middle schools um, release even later than that for transportation reasons. And so really you're dealing with the needs of the school in the morning and then through the afternoon and in the evening, you're trying to catch up on the work that you have to do in your own role. And so I'll just say that, again, no day is the same. It's challenging, it's rewarding. Some days are easier than others. Some days are better than others. Um, you know, and, and really this is just a, a rolling kind of position with, um, you know, with the, with the duties, but it's really rooted in eligibility and compliance for the districts. Eligibility and compliance is something that rears its ugly head a lot in high school sports in particular. We could also say college as well. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the what are some of the examples of, of typical issues you might have with athletes trying to become eligible, finding out they're ineligible, et cetera? I would say that the first and foremost one is going to be related to GPA. And so for us, you know, there, there are basic prongs that the student athletes have to hit to be eligible for athletics. For us, academically, it's a 2.0 unweighted cumulative GPA. And so that's the first piece that I normally get the calls about is a, a student that has fallen underneath that and what are, what are the options. And there are options for the student athletes, but they're based on a specific timeline. For eligibility. So eligibility for us academically turns over at the start of the semester. So what does that mean? That means that our fall athletes, let's take football, for instance, football, football players must be eligible on the first day of the semester. If they're underneath that 2.0 or any of our fall athletes and winter athletes that start in the first semester under that 2.0, they don't have the opportunity to recover grades throughout the first semester to become eligible by their first practice date. They have to be eligible on the first day of the season. Same thing for when we flip our semesters, those spring athletes, our winter athletes that transition, you know, basketball, soccer, wrestling, they also have to maintain eligibility on the first day of the semester. And so it's a lot of conversations about kids that sometimes fall underneath the 2.0 and what accommodations can be given to them. Our GPA threshold is given to us by state statute. It's actually an item that is not able to be appealed with the FHSAA. And so it's really about educating students and families about the importance. I mean, academics are important. It's why we're here. You know, and I think that athletics is, um, you know, the thing that, you know, the carrot that that helps to keep the grades, helps to keep the grades up. So that would be the first piece. The second piece um, is dealing with a lot of student athlete movements. And, you know, at the NCAA level, you guys have the transfer portal and people want to refer to that at the high school 
level as well. You know, we don't have a transfer portal, but we have a lot of kids that do make moves for different reasons. And so eligibility and compliance can fall into a, a number of different things. When the student moved, where did they move to? Were they a traditional student sitting in a classroom? Have they now gone to home education? Are they in FLVS? Are they in a private school? Are they in a non-member private school? And so with the new House Bill, House Bill 225 that came out last year and started July 1, a lot of this movement has different allowances now. And so we're walking through different student types and where they move to and can they be eligible or not. It takes a lot of takes a lot of time. You have to get a lot of details. So we deal with that aspect. We deal with kids with addresses, you know, so that the high school level has a lot of different things um, related to compliance. And that's really just scratching the surface. I mean, I could talk for hours about the things that we bump into, but I'd say generally we're dealing with grades, we're dealing with transfers, and we're dealing with where kids zone for and how that affects their eligibility. One of the, the more recent discussions, particularly in Florida, but also in other states as well, is the the role of NIL in high schools. I, I imagine that's crossed your desk a time or two. Can you just elaborate a little bit about what's happening in Florida and whether you think this is or is not a good thing? So this is such a it's such an interesting topic um, because NIL um, NIL at the high school level for for me personally I, I think it's I think it's a thing that that can be scary um, and every state is a little bit different I want to say that we're probably near 30 states in the country that are offering some sort of NIL in some shape or form um, we do not have NIL legislation or a policy yet with the FHSAA I know that it's been worked on yet you said yes yet. yes yes so i i know that um one has been drafted it's going to be reviewed again it may potentially be redrafted so um you know for for how it work best you know when you look at this as an athletic administrator there are certain fears related to nil at the high school level and for us it's that our coaches for the most part are paid on a supplemental level and so then we go through the awkward dance of having top players. And let's face it, Florida's got incredible talents, you know, and, and we're dealing with top players potentially, you know, receiving lucrative NIL deals. And, and does that create a power shift? You know, this is different than the collegiate level. We're dealing, we're dealing with kids. We're dealing with students that are 13 to 18, 14 to 19. And, and how does that work for us? I mean, you know, concerns about, you know, a poor interaction between a student athlete and a coach and does it boil down to that outburst of a conversation in the middle of the field or on the court, I make more money than you, I make the decisions like, you know, we don't know how that's going to how that's going to end up. There's also concerns just with in kinds. And I also let's talk about the student that's invited to have dinner, you know, after a game with their family um, at a restaurant. Well, you know, a, a lot of our students rely on food services, you know, to eat throughout the day. They, you know, they receive breakfast and lunch. They might receive a pre-game, pre-practice, post-game, post-practice meal. And sometimes, you know, on Friday after the game, you know, we don't know if they're getting a chance to eat something on Saturday or Sunday. And so when you think about something just as simple as maybe a student athlete having an opportunity for he and his family to eat at no cost at a local restaurant, does is it, what is that gonna create in the locker room? What is that gonna create you know, is that going to incite anything? And so, again, I know these are very specific examples, but these are things that have been discussions, you know, with FHSAA, they've been 
they've been great about it. You know, conversations about, you know, is a cap necessary? Louisiana has a cap. I want to say it's somewhere around $500 or $1,000 that a student can have an NIL. So there's just so many different thoughts and processes. You know, there's the argument that NIL is a job um, and that, you know, that it needs to be separate, but really it shouldn't be separate because it's name image likeness and it's a representation. It's because you're connected to either the Florida High School Athletic Association, a member school, um, you know, and, and it really needs to reflect that. So we're going through some of the growing pains of trying to create policy or the FHSA is going through that, of trying to create policy that is, you know, sounds, that's reflect, that's what the kids need, you know, but I think also, I think they're really truly trying to make sure that we maintain a decent balance um, as well with that. It's very challenging because we want to see that if kids are deserving, we want to make sure that they get what they need, but how, you know, how do we make sure to keep a certain control over that? And, and that's difficult and I wish I had all the answers for it, but it's, it's a very tough thing. It, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and at the same instance, there's almost an inevitability about it, given the fact that, as you alluded to, Florida is very successful at producing athletes. And those athletes may be looking at other states mm -hmm. where NIL deals exist to say, well, time for me to move because I don't want to play in Florida anymore because I, I don't get anything for it. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead, Tim. No, please. Well, and I think that we're seeing that just in the college landscape with how students are committing to certain to certain schools is that there's a lot of different considerations now. And, you know, we've always discussed, anytime we've had the opportunity to talk with college administrators, athletic administrators, or collegiate coaches, you know, is that there is a significant trickle-down effect. You know, things, and, and it's for anything as simple as our student section. You know, I mean, we, you know, you see during, you know, men's basketball, the Cameron Crazies, I'll just use Duke, you know, and you see how they are, you know, on the, on the sideline and the hands outreach and everything, you know, and that's all emulated at our level. So anything that comes into play, you know, through the professional or through the collegiate ranks is eventually going to reach to us because our kids want to aspire to that. They want to, you know, almost have kind of like a training camp of going through these things so that they're ready, you know, when they get to these next levels that they can experience that as well and so um you know you're spot on with that are we going to start losing you know students to other states because of that opportunity i mean it's most certainly possible okay we're going to try and take a quick break we'll see if my video works this time and if it does we'll be back in just a minute The mission of FSU Coach is to prepare and equip the next generation of coaches and sports professionals with best practices and current research to enable them to pursue excellence. We have two academic programs, the online graduate certificate, which is four classes, and also a 10-class master's in athletic coaching. Our graduate certificate and master's program can be started at any time, either the, the summer, fall, or spring. All of our classes have the word coach or coaching in them and they're taught by coaches for coaches. The types of classes that we offer focus on the athlete as a whole person. We focus on the theory and practice, the research, the helping skills, uh, even some of the mental performance behind you know, what it goes into being an athlete. I came to FSU Coach because I truly believed in the mission and the purpose of the program. I think I have my dream job being a head coach at Florida State but I know there's always more ways that I can help my athletes and better prepare as a coach. So I thought joining this master's program would help me um, learn different ways to uh, attack my job. 
If you're interested in going into coaching or joining the FSU Coach Program, I would just say don't even think about it and do it. And we're back, everybody. Valerie Miares is talking to us. If you have a question for her, just put it in your chat box and uh, we'll try and get it to her. I want to move on a little bit because you, you said something within that high school NIL and it related to the fact that there may be a change in power structure with coaches and athletes because all of a sudden athletes may be making more money than their coaches, which seems to be a real, real problem in Florida. Talk a little bit about Palm County uh, for uh, coach pay, coach stipends. Is it good? Is it bad? What can we do about it to, to help? So I really like, I'm happily would like to share that um, our superintendent was a huge part. He's a Florida State alumni, by the well, by the way, uh, Mike Burke. And, you know, just a huge, he finishes every email about the Knowles that goes out that goes out across. So I love it. And during football season, obviously it's amped up quite a bit more. Um, so anyhow, we, you know, fortunately he was a really large supporter for us in making sure that we started to raise pay. We were, we noticed that we were really deficient with our football coaches and with our athletic directors, we were having significant turnover in those two positions. And so, you know, for instance, last year I had 24 athletic directors, 12 of them turned over and the year before another. Wow. And so that's a lot when you're dealing with the leader of the athletic department, you know, having some sort of consistency at that school is a key component. You know, it's just like having a, a head coach with a student athlete, you know, for consecutive years, rather than bringing in somebody new all the time, it's hard to, you know, constantly have to shift and learn new policies and new leadership skills and understanding people. So that was tough for us. So two years in a row, we turned over 50% of the room. Football coaches, it was even, it was even more. And in some cases, we one year we had turned over more football coaches than what we actually had space for, and that's because as one coach left and one was interviewed and accepted, then it turned out that because in Palm Beach the cost of living is pretty significant. It was hard to make that move and come into the area and be here. And so there was a big discussion, and I wouldn't say a big discussion, it was a quick discussion. Um, school district leadership was right behind it to go ahead and improve um, these supplements. And so this year, uh, our, direct, our chief um, of HR was able to bargain with uh, our CTA group to improve those salaries. And so for now, we, our football coaches, our athletic directors, I think a number of our other coaches are the highest paid in the state of Florida. So we were able to um, bring our head football coach supplement to $7,000. So that's 6,000 for them in the fall and then a $1,000 supplement. We have a spring football season at the high school level where they're allowed 20 days in May. And so that also provides payment. Last year and years prior, they would receive a, a supplement. I think it was around $4,500 or 5,000, 10% of that would be held out and they would get that they would get that paid in the spring so there really wasn't any extra dollar amount and, and you know and really they're doing extra work and so i felt that there should be an extra spring supplement and that was one of the things i had pitched to the district and they had accepted with the athletic directors you know my vision there is that the athletic director is the head coach of the coaches and we have three seasons we have three seasons for the for the coaches and therefore the athletic director that should reflect over those three seasons so the athletic director is receiving a nine thousand dollar supplement how much and, should we 9,000. I'm sorry. Yeah, 9,000. So really excited about that. The rest of our sports got rounded up to a to a whole number, um, you know, and didn't see quite as big of an increase. But when you look across the state and across the large districts, we were kind of already leading monetarily um, 
for those for those sports. So it's a constant conversation about coaches and what the pay is. You know, we see a different type of pay structure throughout the country. Let's take Texas, you know, for for instance, with football or even Alabama. Um, you know, and there that's a salaried full-time position. It's usually six figures. It may come with a vehicle, um, you know, and some other some other benefits. You know, here in the state of Florida in the public sector, it's a supplemented position. So you know, as a coach, you're on the instructional line, you're a teacher, you're providing on the campus in some other way, and then you have a supplemented position that pays extra on top of it. So that's, you know, that's what, what we're dealing with here. I feel in Palm Beach County, you know, that we are providing something good. We are trying to show coaches their value and their worth. Um, I know that there's always a desire to have more. Um, you know, I know the state of Florida with Dr. Andrew Ramjit, he has an initiative. I know Coach Norvell you know, spoke, um, you know, on their behalf for coaches pay, football coaches pay to be increased. It's a constant, it's a constant conversation. You know, when you look at athletics, athletics is what helps kids get out of certain situations and kids that are in great situations, it allows them to go ahead and flourish and, and move on to another level. They can have their, you know, college athletics paid for to be part of the small percentage that gets to play professionally. Athletics is a vehicle for good things, and it should be rewarded for that. But it's not a full-time job, and that's what that's what can make it difficult at times. So um, it's a constant work in progress. But I feel very confident with where we are, and, and I always hope for continued improvements. Yes, to to all of it. <laughs> the the challenge is, as you suggested, is that coaches in palm county great they get a higher stipend but in the grand scheme of things that stipend doesn't even come close to the amount of time and money they personally invest in in the sport and you mentioned football a lot because it is the main sport that most schools participate in people come and watch people talk about but when we go outside of football when we talk about the cross-country coach uh the tennis coach those stipends are, are not as high. And from my perspective as a, a coach developer, it is very, very difficult to encourage a coach to participate in development that they probably have to pay for when they're not really making anything in the first place. And so we're taking even more of their personal money away. How, if, if you had the power maybe FHSAA, maybe legislation. How can we change this? Because other, other states are doing things differently. How can we change it in Florida where coaching is still a venerated profession? People still respect coaching and coaches, yet underneath the surface, there's very little pay, there's very little training, and a lot of coaches aren't really doing a very good job. Which may explain, by the way, that that high turnover. Yes, and those are all excellent points, Tim. And it's you know, it's so hard to say how we could do this. I have some ideas. I have some thoughts. You know, whether or not they would gain any traction. I'm Go for it. I want to hear them. Wouldn't. So, but you know, you know, to me, uh, to me, we're we're in a situation right now where we are seeing participation on the student athlete level come down some, and I think part of that might be what you spoke to before is the level of coaching, the quality of coaching, 
that coaches are, are burnt out. You know, and you and I talk about this all the time, that, that burnout is real and that it comes a lot it comes a lot more quickly when you're not being paid well, you're being overworked, you feel that so much is being asked of you, time is being taken away from your personal and your family life. And you're right, at the end of the day, coaches may be receiving a nickel an hour if they're lucky. It might be a nickel a day. You know, this truly is a labor of love. So I'm a huge proponent of continuing education. You know, I think it's important if we can show that coaches are putting effort out, athletic administrators are putting effort out to better themselves. You know, one of my goals with the athletic administrators is I'd like for everybody to become a certified athletic administrator. That's a CAA designation yeah. that you get through the national, through the, you know, through the NIAAA, you know, through the national federation, through USA football, through, you know, all of our other entities, there's opportunities for certification. I truly feel that, you know, if it's going to be taken seriously with coaching and what coaching does for education, because this is education-based athletics, you know, if it's going to be taken seriously, then, you know, it might be time to take a look at it from a collegiate, from a collegiate standpoint. And, you know, does the head football coach, the head basketball coach, do the head coaches need to have, you know, some sort of salary that's different than supplemental because of the risks that they're taking on because of, the amount of students that are involved in their program. You know, when, when you look at a head football coach that's offering all three levels at varsity, JV, and freshman, maybe 150 student athletes. Sometimes that might be more than the students that are attached to you on a roster for a classroom. You know, and, and so we have a number of coaches that are dealing with large amounts of kids. But I, I think if there was a way, you know, to find a way with integrity to pay coaches more, you know, on a salary basis, I think that would be... I think that would be supported, but how do you how do you do it? I mean, other other states do it, right? Alabama's doing it, mm -hmm. Texas is doing it, mm -hmm. but then how do you do that with equality and with equity? Because that might be happening just with the head football coach, but is is the women's swim coach receiving the same benefits in those states? I don't have the answer to that. That might be something that I would have to find. So how do you how do you balance that? So for for me, you know, I feel if there's going to be a, a chopping off line, you know that these coaches will be, you know, removed from a teaching, you know, allocation and, and strictly be coaching, then we got to have a lot of teeth behind that. I think we need to have things that show why these people are qualified for that, um, you know, because you're right, so our, sometimes the pool of talent can be a bit, can be a bit lower. So I want to make sure that people have all the things that they need behind that to earn that. Um, but I think it's a great, I think it's a great option. I'm not sure where state legislation will will stand on that because then how do you separate the teacher that's in the classroom from the head football coach and the salary? How do you determine that? You know, there are just so many wild cards that I'm not really, you know, educated enough to say in the HR world or compensation with how you would handle that. But in a Walgreens world, in a world where everything was right, you know, would you love to see some of those head football coaches just simply salary, not head football, but some of the head coaches you know, through our programs, just be salaried for the time that they take with the student athletes and, and what that equates to, you know, absolutely. But how, do, but how does it happen? Um, it may be a simpler answer than we think, like I said, because other states are already incorporating that. So is it a willingness thing? That's my, you know, that's one of my questions. What is the barrier? And, and does that question go to, you know, go to Tallahassee? Does that question go to state legislation or our state DOE? Does that question come locally? you know, to our districts. I don't, I don't know. 
Um, and I'm interested to see what Dr. Ramjit is, is doing and continues to do in that space um, with the attempt to improve pay, you know, for the coaches. So I know it's a long-winded and very circular answer, um, but, you know, I, I'd be interested to see, you know, the, the type of athlete we have coming in at the high school level is an incredible athlete. I mean, it, I, I think even from when I played 20 years ago, you know, we're seeing, I hate to use the cliche of bigger, faster, stronger, I mean, but let's face it, it's, you know, these kids are physically, mentally, emotionally really well equipped and they are doing an outstanding job. And I, and I think that we need to ensure that we're having adults working with them that are qualified, you know, to work with that. So, and that would equal, you know, if you want things better, then you would have to have better compensation for that. Yes. And it may not be that we, we give that swim coach a, a full-time salary for, for, doing something that is not a full-time day mm -hmm. but at the same instance if we can get stipends to where people want to do it because it also comes with a healthy financial package now the standards can be raised for what's expected of you in that position yeah because at the moment you know i've, I've traveled florida a lot and some counties are just looking for warm bodies to fill spots because we don't care if you've coached. We don't care if you've coached the sport. We don't have anybody willing to coach. I wonder why not. Well, we don't pay you very much. We expect a lot of you. Uh, you're going to get abused by, by parents and players and fans. And no, but you should do it because you love it. And we've got this circular thing where coaches come in because they love it and discover that without these other things to support that love, they decide this isn't worth it for me and they walk away. And when they walk away, we've got to go through the cycle again of bringing somebody in and training them and hopefully they're good at their job and they don't mess up some kids along the way. And we, we go through this cycle again. So at some point, I think the system will break where we will have to consider, do we even offer these sports? Because we just don't have the infrastructure to support them. Unless, yeah. unless we, we really, if we're going to venerate this profession, let's have the standards that are required, but let's also reward the people who are meeting those standards. So, yeah. I mean, we, again, we could talk about this for, for a long time. Uh, Can I just jump in one, one just as a follow-up? So just in our, and our sharp bit of an experiment with our increased supplements in the two positions where we were having high turnover, you know, it's been interesting in the fact that um, in those two roles, the turnover has diminished greatly. And that's been, and I think that speaks volumes, you yeah. know, to, you know, people being able to provide or feel that they are valued in their time means a lot and it keeps, and it keeps people in. So I'm, I feel greatly, um, what's the word I'm looking at, encouraged, you know, by the facts that the improved supplements, you know, for those two particular positions seem to be gaining us some traction. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping that other people will pick up on that and that, you know, maybe we could see that more state, more statewide. Um, so anyhow, so I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just no. um, wanted to follow up that there has been some positivity from that. And like I said, I'm greatly encouraged by that. Let me ask you from a, a Palm County perspective, it is interesting that every county has their own rules and stipulations and requirements and, and what is and what is not allowed and how coaches can get training or can't. Do, do, do coaches get 
support to do professional development in Palm County, or is it specifically geared toward teachers? Because I say this because last month I, I went to a county and spoke to the athletic directors and coaches as part of the professional development day. And the person who organized this sent me a, a message afterwards. And one of the reports back was, thank you so much for doing this. We're never thought about. We never have an opportunity to learn about what we're really passionate about. Yeah. And this was a, a big deal for us. Mm -hmm. Do you provide financial support to go to a clinic or is it uh, on your own because it's not part of education? Yeah. So currently professional development is really geared towards the instructional part of the job and, and being a teacher. Do we have coaches that attend clinics and professional development for their sports? Yes, they do. At the public school level, there can be a lot of different hoops to jump through to get there. And so a, a lot of times if our coaches want to attend something, they have to go through the process of typically opening up a trust with the um, with the school district and then fundraising money, you know, specifically earmarked for them to have professional development. Because otherwise, all the money that's fundraised for needs to go towards the students. That's how it is at the at the high school level. So, you know, this is a conversation that I've been able to open with our with our finance department. They are, you know, willing to listen, know that it's a pain point. It's something that, you know, been trying to get some movement on over the last year or so to where we can have coaches more readily um, accessible, you know, uh, be able to access professional development because now, you know, we have some coaches that are taking personal days and might be paying out of pocket for some things. We may have some coaches that understand the process on the finance side of the house here at the district with that trust um, opportunity and how to navigate that. And then they're able to do it that way and, and having a, you know, what we call a TDE and have their day covered um, by their principals. So, you know, we, we see it varied here. You know, it's a work, it's certainly a work in progress for how us. many, how many coaches in your schools aren't teachers? The, the number has been lighter than it has been in the past. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm probably going to go ahead and say we're probably around a 50% mark. We rely heavily on community or non-faculty coaches that want to come in and give their time at the end of their workday to be with the kids. And, and I can see the disconnect there with the professional development for educators yeah. and, oh, but you don't teach. So this isn't really relevant to, to you in any way. Yeah. And we don't really have anything else for you. It's it's a problem in Florida. I mean, your 50 percent is what I hear around the state. It's not uncommon. Yeah, it's uh, we uh, I think when we sit in our statewide district AD meeting, it's the same conversation is that we're teachers because of the requirements that are set up on, on teachers in the classroom. And, you know, you know, all the all the thresholds they're trying to reach. I, I think that, you know, they feel that 100 percent of their energy has to go to that because that is that's their nine to five, you know, and, and they need to make sure that they're coming good. And I think it kind of, I, I don't want to say scares, but, you know, people are concerned with taking time away from that to contribute, um, you know, to an after school activity and one such as athletics, where it's not just practicing, you know, after school from three to 5 PM. I mean, you're on a bus, you're having good transportation. Sometimes you're traveling for hours, you're playing, you're dealing with parents, you're dealing with officials, you're, you know, there's a, a big part of this. It's an entire second job. And so, you know, I, I think at times that that can become very challenging for teachers to want to jump in on. I remember when I had a table at our um, 
at our new teacher orientation, you know, where they did a, a full day and, you know, people would stop by and they'd say, oh, you know, I said, oh, this is athletics, you know, are you interested in, in coaching? The amount of people that didn't even say anything to me and just walked away <laughs> just really blew my mind. And, you know, when I found that, like, I had to, like, you know, get up and walk around and talk to people and say, no, listen, like, this is how we educate kids outside the four walls of the classroom. This is there, here are our life lessons. Here are the opportunities to reach students beyond arithmetic, reading, and English. And, you know, if you're an educator and you have a background or if you played athletics or if you love athletics, this is the spot for you. And so if you can feel it in my voice, like, you know, it, it, I hate to use the word begging, but you're trying to persuade people so deeply mm-hmm. that taking the time after school is a quality effort mm-hmm. and that there will be such rewards for you as an adult and what you leave with those kids and you know to please consider it you know and um it's just it's just an interesting conversation we have to have but yeah the the number of people that were just just oh no don't want to deal with the parents oh no don't want I to wonder I wonder how many of them might have continued their conversation if you said and there's a $20,000 stipend attached. It's so true. It's so true. Well, when we look at, you know, at, at times there can be supplements for teachers, you know, through different things where they might receive an extra $10,000 to be back in the classroom. You know, a lot of times, sometimes you see people, you know, leaving from positions that might be at the central office or at the district level and going back in. So to your point, that's a big draw. It's a huge draw, you know, $20,000. I mean, we're talking about a, you know, a big clip of money there. And I, I think that that is substantial um, and really would start drawing the right amount of talent and a number, a number of applicants into, into these positions. You know, I, years before, you know, we'll say for head football coach, if I had an opening, I'd receive 75 applications. I'd receive 75 resumes minimum. And you would divide those out, you know, between in-state and out-of-state. Now, with some of our schools, you know, some schools are lucky if they get 10, you know, and it's uh, and it's tough. It's really it's really difficult. So so I agree with you 100 percent. Twenty thousand twenty thousand dollar supplement. I think that would uh, I think that would be of great interest to people. Yeah. Last question. I want to be respectful of, of your time. And and that is encouraging coach development, coach training, coach education, because the argument is here from an athletic director's point of view, if you can get coaches better trained, that's less work for you, less drama for you, less stress for everybody. I've been in situations where coaches have been required to to obtain professional development, state mandated. And I've watched people being pushed into the auditorium against their will because if you don't get this we can't give you your certificate so you have to sit in here how do we encourage coaches to not only get more training to become better at what they do but also ensure that they get it because if i go if i go and talk at a let's say a a county a countywide professional development day those coaches and athletic directors choose where they go and what they listen to. And they can choose not to listen to anything that I say. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they do. But uh, the, the reality is that the ones who want to learn are the ones who choose to come. And the ones who need it most are the ones who find ways to get out of it or not come. 
how do we encourage more people to want to get trained? And how do we ensure that those who don't still get the training so that we don't have those problems with them down the road? Yeah, I mean, isn't this just a trend that we see throughout different parts of life? You know, you, you think about the parent-teacher conference, and it's always the kid with straight A's that the parent shows up, but it's yeah. just only students that, you know, we don't have the ability to reach. And so in this case, you know, it's, it's coaches that have a desire to get better and to want to be, you know, ingrained in, in the newest, greatest, and latest. They want to be part of that. But how do we get coaches to receive quality instruction and quality um, professional development on a regular basis. And really, I think, and people are probably not going to like me for saying this, but, you know, we have coach certifications through the Department of Education that lasts for five years. And really for, for coaches, there's no requirements such as with like my teaching certificate, I have to do 120 or 130, you know, credit hours, you know, over my five years so that I can renew that. But with coaches, it's simply paying the fee and then just having the professional certificate turned back over again for another five years. And so to me, if we want to be really serious about ensuring that coaches are professionally developed at a quality level or at a level that everybody equally has to reach, then it is going to be putting in hours of work that is going to be required for those coaches, you know, to be able to be, um, you know, in class and a course and, and getting taught you know, the right way. And, and that can range, you know, maybe you want, maybe you went to, you know, the Nike coaches clinic, maybe, you know, you went to USA volleyball, maybe you did some different things. You can get so many hours for those experiences, but there should be hours that are purely dedicated to an actual, you know, scholastic aptitude. for. But athletic directors, when I, I agree with you hundred mm -hmm. percent, I think all of us in every profession should be continuing our, our professionalism, our, our training. When I mention this to athletic directors, the response is, if I did that, I wouldn't have enough coaches because they would quit. And that is a constant answer that you're going to get from most ADs with any new barrier that comes into place. So, you know, we now have to get fingerprint. Let's just say it's not the case, but, oh, we're going to have to fingerprint every year. That's not the case. But I'm saying if that were to come in, well, we're going to have a ton of coaches leave because they're not going to want to fingerprint on you. So it's like no matter what you throw at people, that's always the constant response. But, you know, we can't consistently and constantly talk about a problem and then look away at potential resolutions. We have to eventually bite onto the resolution, buy in, and we need to produce that. If there's a problem, we got to we got to find a way to solve it. And that's the bottom line. And so if you constantly rebut and reject that, well, then you're part of the problem. You can't sit here and constantly complain about the turnover, the lack of applicants, the lack of knowledge and understanding, and yet in the same breath, be completely against the idea of having some sort of required professional development for folks. They just don't jive together. You know, quality coaches don't just come out of thin air. It's rare that somebody is just ready to roll and is excellent on their game. Everybody needs to have some sort of guidance and some sort of education. And so you know, ADs, we can be part of the problem at times, but part of that is that you don't want to scare off who you have. And yes, that's a real problem. But back to the start of our conversation with improved benefits and improved compensation, would we be in that situation where we would have, where we'd be concerned with scaring off coaches? Maybe not. They might, you know, if they're being, you know, paid and valued, you know, at the proper rate, then potentially this would just be embraced as part of my job function, yeah. you know, and, and that would be it. So, I'm hoping that the mentality will change on that. Um, 
But, you know, right now, if you don't mind me using this platform, anyone that loves athletics, please consider your local high school or middle school to give back and work with the student athletes. I guarantee you it will probably do more for you than even the kids on the court or on the field or in the pool. Um, you know, consider giving back to education-based athletics and to continue growing uh, our 9th through 12th graders and our 6th through 8th graders to make it to the next level. So, Tim, thanks for letting me just kind of plug that for a second. Oh, no, of course. I agree completely. If somebody wants to reach out to you, probably watching this after the fact, maybe listening to our podcast, what's the best way for them to do that? They're welcome to drop me an email. That's going to be the best way um, to get me. And so it's up on it's up on the screen, um, you know, and, and I'll try to respond as, as quickly as I can, depending on how the day is going. And for those listening to the podcast, that's Valerie.M-I-Y-A-R-E-S at palmbeachschools.org. Well, Val, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your time and wisdom with, with us. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I knew I would. I'm sure we'll continue it uh, for, for many, many occasions in the future. But on behalf of myself, Tim Baghurst, and of course, Val Muirage, thanks so much for watching. Go Nulls.